the average American family moves about once every five to seven years, which means those of us who grew up in one town and stayed there are kind of an oddity. It's not a case that there's anything wrong with it, or that it deprives someone of something very important. It's just that growing up in one place can make you seem kind of crazy. I know this all too well. I grew up in Fairbanks, Alaska, and lived there for my first 18 years. Actually, a little longer than that, if you count times I wasn't living in the dorms. And really, this has meant that my head is full of knowledge. Knowledge that currently is kind of useless. I visited Fairbanks this summer with my girlfriend, and I couldn't shut up. It's like I was thrilled to finally have some use for this information. Even though it wasn't actually all that useful, and from time to time I do end up spouting it down here as well. There are perils to spending your entire life in one town. One is that maybe your memory will be entirely overfilled with trivial details. Another is that one might, out of boredom, do something that attaches the attention of the wrong people. And still another is that one may just desire to leave more than anything else in their life. This is Memory Card from SiliconSasquatch.com, and our show today is Starting Villages. We have two chapters about the places that we're from. In chapter one, teenage boredom and a popular fad attract the attention of law enforcement. In chapter two, the Oregon Trail inspires somebody to go west. This is all coming up. We hope you enjoy it. Chapter 1, Mall Insecurity My friend Kristen Andre mentioned in passing a few times that she had some youthful delinquency, but never went into too much detail as to what it entailed. I got to sit down with her, testing new audio equipment in a noisy cafe, to get the full story. I lived in a very small town at the time, um, and it was summertime after school had been let out. And I had quickly run out of absolutely everything there was to do in our town. Um, there was pretty much nothing left except video games and TV. So, yeah, we were very bored. We had nothing to do. We decided to come up with something new and different and exciting um, that no one had ever done before in our small town. So it was, uh, it was summer. You were bored. You didn't really have any particular things that you were doing. I mean, what came to mind? Like, what was your, describe your thought process as you guys were, you know, sitting there bored. It's like, well, well what can we do? Uh, well, we were whining to my mom about having nothing to do. And she was getting exasperated with us and trying to give us all sorts of suggestions that were all, of course, really lame. Um, and the last thing she suggested was, well, we have a big bucket of sidewalk chalk. How about you go and write nice messages for your friends on their driveways? And we thought, Mom... That is so lame, because we are 18, and everything your mom suggests is lame. Um, but we kind of took that idea and ran with it. So she unknowingly instigated a 
all sorts of fun. <laughs> we quickly realized that we did not want to simply write nice messages for our friends. Um, we wanted to do something big that everyone would remember and leave our legacy on our tiny town. Um, so, of course, what we decided to do next was to build a website. Because what else would you possibly do with Sidewalk Chalk except go on the internet? I don't, I don't even know the thought process behind that. So we built a little free website, really super basic. I don't even remember what we called it, but we decided that this website would start a flash mob because flash mobs were just starting to be cool in 2007 and it would certainly be a thing that we could do. Um, so we decided that the place we wanted this flash mob to be was at our local mall. And so we put, a, we put a very nice picture of our local mall on our website, and we had a countdown until when we wanted people to show up. And we made, we made the website very welcoming. We said, you're, ne you're not going to want to miss this. It's going to be the greatest thing ever. Just, just show up, guys. <laughs> okay, so you, you set up this website, and you decided you want to do a flash mob, which, yeah, that was, the, that was the big trend around then. So then you decided to publicize? That's where the sidewalk chalk came in. <laughs> we, being unemployed 18-year-olds, we had no jobs <laughs> um, and no way to make this event public. So we took our sidewalk chalk and our web address and we had a night on the town. <laughs> we, wrote, we wrote this URL all over our town, on sidewalks, on the sides of buildings, and just everywhere we could think of um, in order to get the word out. <laughs> just to be clear here, did you at any point in doing this like explain that it was supposed to be a flash mob or something or were you just hoping that by saying this is the greatest thing ever that a lot of people would show up? The second one. <laughs> we were not very smart 18 year olds. I don't want to imply that this was in any way a good idea. <laughs> We really didn't know what we were going to do with all of the people once they got there. There was no plan. <laughs> you just thought you'd bring in a lot of people and the rest would solve itself. It would be great. <laughs> you should show up. <laughs> it's going to be legendary. <laughs> so, when was it that things began escalating then? Well, things started to go awry. I think it was either the day after or, or two days after our big midnight adventure to, to paint the town, literally. Yeah, I, I first noticed that something might be wrong when the police showed up at my house. <laughs> A very nice officer came to my door. I was the only one home at the time, so I was petrified. And he said, hello, can I, can I ask you a few questions? And I said, um, sure, would you like to come in? Uh, I'm supposed to be really polite to you, right? Okay, yes. Okay, come in. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, he asked me, do you know, has anyone in this house vicinity that you know of created a website in the past couple days? And I said, uh... Well, we've got quite a few MySpace and Facebook profiles going on in this house. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've got some of those. And he said, no, I mean, like, like an, a real website, like, like a real one. <laughs> and at that point, I thought, oh, shit, <laughs> this, 
all right. If, if I'm going to jail, I, I may as well just own up to it, be noble. And so I said, yes, I, ha I have created a website. Can I ask what's going on? One of the places that we advertised for our big flash mob at the mall was on the sidewalks of the mall itself, which in retrospect was a terrible idea. And so the mall officials, security people, woke up that morning, saw the web address, and decided to check it out. They didn't have any idea what was going on. And indeed, who did? Yeah. Not me. <laughs> that was for sure. One thing I hadn't taken into account, being my naive 18-year-old self, was, oh hey, the country is in a state of, like, red alert because of terrorist threats. Maybe having a countdown with a map to the local mall and not having any explanation, maybe that might be a bad idea. Maybe. <laughs> so, the mall security proceeded to completely flip the fuck out and called Homeland Security, like you do. They chatted with them for a while, I suppose. I was not privy to any of these conversations. But eventually it was determined that the local police could probably handle this. So they traced my IP address and showed up at my door. <laughs> Hello, Kristen, we'd like to speak to you. <laughs> um. Like, you were actually arrested at one point then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was what confused me a little bit, was they never read me my rights or like cuffed me or anything, but um, they did give me a piece of paper with it all written down and I had to initial next to each of the I understand that I can remain silent in each of those clauses. So I believe that I was actually arrested, but it definitely wasn't the dramatic, like, throw you in the back of the car thing. <laughs> yeah, so got a court summons eventually. Do you know, like, if they charged you with anything? Mm -hmm. I was eventually charged with, let's see, it started out as a felony because, um, because they had thought that there was like terrorist connotations or something. But when they realized that I was a stupid 18-year-old kid who was just playing a prank, um, it was dropped down to malicious mischief, which was, I believe, a misdemeanor. Just to, just to be clear here, this was over a website with a countdown, and that's it. There was, there was no stated threat or anything. Nope, no threats, nope. What the malicious mischief charge eventually stuck for was they had to rent power washers to get the sidewalk chalk off the sidewalks. And that cost X amount of dollars, which according to the law, I caused so much in damages. Um, so eventually the website ended up having nothing to do with the charges brought against me, but it was definitely incendiary in the whole process. <laughs> it kind of sounds like after a certain point, they just wanted to stick something to you. Is that what it seemed like when you had to be there? Or? Um, it definitely seemed like overkill. I, when the police was at my door and they told me what it was that I was in trouble for, I offered to go down with a bucket and scrub off the sidewalks. <laughs> um, but um, it seemed like I, I could understand being a mall security person in an age of in an age of terrorism, <laughs> being a little pissed off at some dumb kids. <laughs> so there may have been a little bit of a little bit of angst in there, but I was very fortunate in that my parents handled a lot of the proceedings. 
I do know that the eventual bargain was we paid a fine and if I didn't get arrested again for a year after that, all the charges would drop off my record, which happened. <laughs> so You were actually arrested at one point then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was what confused me a little bit, was they never read me my rights or like cuffed me or anything, but um, they did give me a piece of paper with it all written down, and I had to initial next to each of the, I understand that I can remain silent in each of those clauses. So I believe that I was actually arrested, but it definitely wasn't the dramatic, like, throw you in the back of the car thing. <laughs> Eventually, we did have, like, a hearing to assign public defenders or to tell them if I wanted to find my own defense. Once I was away at school, a few months later, I had to go back to get the rest settled. I don't remember what that court date was for. I think it may have just been for like, all right, pay this fine, stay out of trouble, you'll be all right. <laughs> um, yeah, it was scary, but not that dramatic. <laughs> Did you at any point with any of the officials get any sort of like almost sarcastic feeling like, really, we're, we're expending resources on this? Yep, the judge at that final court date, at the very end of all of the proceedings, said, all right, young lady, you stay away from sidewalk chalk, you hear? <laughs> <laughs> to which I, I agreed pretty readily. <laughs> After all that trouble, I think you're probably best to just... Yeah, it, w it was pretty scary. Well, it was a felony, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but yeah, it dropped really fast. <laughs> To this day, when people suggest that we go outside and draw with sidewalk chalk, I'm always like, wait a second, guys. Whoa. You have no idea where this can lead. It's a gateway. <laughs> so about a year and a half after that, I was browsing around on Facebook, and I was invited to this event by some of my friends that were still living in that small town. So I clicked on it, and it was an invitation to a flash mob. They were gonna like dress up like ninjas and have this fake ninja fight and it was gonna be great and everyone was gonna bring canned food because why have a flash mob if you're not gonna like give back to the community and such. And it sounded like a great idea, but then I saw the location and they were going to hold this flash mob in the local mall. <laughs> the, the same local mall. Yeah, the, the very same local mall. The funny part of that story is I didn't say anything because the story was not at all public at the time and I was just like, guys, this is a terrible idea. Please don't actually do this. You will go to jail. <laughs> They're a very vindictive organization. <laughs> Take this shit seriously. Um, what eventually happened was the mall security found the... Yeah, I don't know what these guys do for a living. Apparently... They, they take their job very seriously. But they found the Facebook group and they shut it down. <laughs> there was a, an article in the local paper. There was, they did interviews with the kids who were gonna organize it. Like, oh, it was, it was a mess. <laughs> it didn't end up happening. No canned food was raised. <laughs> but the citizens of this town were safe and that is what matters. Or more aptly, like the citizens of the mall were safe. Did those guys, like, did they just sit in their office and look for references to their mall and then not actually patrol the mall? I have no idea. <laughs> well, I, I guess that maybe the NSA could pick up some tips from them. <laughs>
They're very thorough. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd think to add just off the cuff? Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> or or don't do chalk. Yeah, don't. There's no way to make that sound cool. Just, <laughs> yeah, terrorism. It's a slippery slope, kids. <laughs> Flash mobs are, are terrorism, as are cryptic websites, so. <laughs> Just say no. <laughs> Kristen is a student in Seattle, Washington. Chapter 2. You have died of dysentery. I've known Sandra Gran for a few years now, and I asked her to talk about what inspired her to move out of her hometown. So when I was in first grade, it was 1991. Um, 1981, um, the Gulf War happened. So I didn't really get it. All I know is that there was an army and there was a war, and we were supposed to send them canned food. <laughs> I don't really know if that's a thing, now thinking about it as an adult. But like, we were supposed to send them canned food. Like send uh, canned food to Iraq? To Iraq, yeah. And I had no idea what Iraq was. So I went to the library and they had globes there. And I knew what a globe was, but I think this is the first time I really like paid attention to it. It was a new globe for one, really brightly colored. It was like really like a bold color. Like if you had bold markers when you were a kid, that's what these colors were. And it was a relief globe. So it pulled up off the surface to indicate, you know, height above sea level. You know, like immediately as a kid, like I know what mountains are, like I've heard of them. So I was like, whoa, these are mountains, these are really cool. I remember just looking on the globe and seeing all these really cool places, like seeing the USSR, which was like huge, and seeing tiny islands in the middle of the ocean, and seeing countries with really cool names like Sri Lanka, and not really knowing like where on this map I was. I guess I lived in the U.S. I don't know why I didn't look for that, but I didn't. So the first thing I did is I went to a librarian and I was like, where are we on this map? And I'm like on the Africa, Europe side on the globe. So she turns it around and she points at uh, Mishawaka, Indiana, northern Indiana. It's like 30 minutes from Michigan. And just being like devastated. I'm not really close to the equator. I'm not really close to an ocean. I don't live on a mountain. I don't live in the middle of the ocean. There's a Great Lakes, which is sort of cool. And maybe I felt like a little lucky that I wasn't like in Kansas or something. But I just remember feeling like totally heartbroken that this is where I lived. And I don't know why I felt that. It wasn't like I was like, lived in a bad place. Like I lived, I had like friends, I did well in school, like I had a lot of fun, like nothing was bad about any part of my life. But I remember just feeling like, oh, wow, I don't wanna be here. Really since the day that I looked at that globe, I have always had some sense of just being trapped in the Midwest and like not being able to get out. There was a computer lab in our school. I actually had computers growing up, which most of my friends did not. But still, it didn't change how awesome computer lab was because they had all these games they didn't have because I didn't have Apple at home. Yeah, so 30 computers. Every there was no You didn't have to ever share a computer. Everyone got their own computer during computer lab. And up to that point, we had just played like mainly educational games, like things like Super Munchers for sure, but like mostly games that like taught you where the keys on the keyboard were. You made sentences. You know, the games weren't that good, but Super Munchers is awesome. I'm not going to diss that game. 
actually my first Oregon Trail experience was just like so saddening. I played Oregon Trail for the first time in the second grade. And the way it was presented to us is before we even went into the computer lab, my second grade teacher, he said to the class, like, today in computer lab, I don't want everyone just to go rushing to a different computer. Like, there's a new game, and I have to show you how it works. So this was, like, super exciting, you know. I've played Super Mungers a million times over the last two years. <laughs> so I'm, like, all pumped for a new game. So we go in, and my, my teacher sits at one of the Mac 2s. He pulls up a game, and you can see it's called The Oregon Trail, and it has the four choices that everyone sees, you know, travel the trail, learn about the trail, so on. You know, he explains it, and then he starts the trail, and then he does a river crossing. And I just remember, like, feeling so tense during the river crossing, because, you know, he explained, you know, sometimes you don't make it, and your thing falls apart, and I'm just like, oh my god, you know, like, there was a river that ran through Mishawaka, and it, he definitely once a summer, you heard about some kid, like, dying, because he got pulled under by the undertow, so I think, oh crap, the, the wagon falls in the river, everyone dies. He gets it to Chimney Rock, and he's like, okay, so you guys, you guys go pick a computer, and you play now. You get to the screen where it's like, list the people in your party. I think I had learned, oh, people traveled with their families. I'm like, obviously my dad would be the leader. So I wrote down, my dad's name is Timothy. I wrote down Timothy. Then I wrote down my mom's name, Mary. My sister's name, Tabitha. Sandra, who was me. I actually just listed an age order. And then Dustin, who was my little brother. I don't even think my little sister was born yet. So we all headed out on the trail. And I cocked the wagon and floated. It broke on both of them. It broke on the Big Blue River and it broke on the other one, which is escaping my memory right now. And there's like two people left by the time I make it to Fort Kearney, which for people who don't remember is the third, it's literally the third stop. You're not even at Chimney Rock yet. And so it's out of food, people are doing badly. And then, you know, my teacher's like, oh, you need to rest when you're feeling bad. But I was resting, but I was resting without food. So people were just like starving and my like sister and dad were like starving and I couldn't shoot them any food and everyone in my party died before I got to Chimney Rock. Of course it does the thing when everyone dies, they're like, oh, would you like to write an epitaph for Timothy, who is my dad? And I just lose it. I just like start crying. I don't like start bawling, it's just like tears running down my face. I realize like I can't start crying in front of my friends in computer lab. That would be really be made fun of for that. So I try to hold it back as much as I can. And all I can think is like I have to fix this, I have to get back on the trail, and then just computer lab's over. <laughs> While well, everyone else in my class got the point of the game, you make Michael Jackson your party leader, and then you say on his epitaph. You know, pepperoni and cheese. <laughs> Everyone else got what to do. Everyone else thought it was hilarious to kill a real party and make funny tombstones. And I killed my dad. <laughs> and wrote like he was a good father. Oh. <laughs> a beloved person or something. And I just, uh, I felt miserable the whole day. Like, I was scared to tell my, my parents about it because I thought they would be upset at me that I killed them. But I do remember one thing. I remember thinking that I had never actually thought about the idea that you could just leave. That people gave up everything just to like find something new, find something better. I mean, I know it seems like really odd to be a second grader and realize all you want out of life is to live somewhere else, but that's, that's kind of what stuck with me. Learning that there were other places in the world 
learning that people lived in different ways, that's what stuck with me. And just the idea of a pioneering spirit, just the idea that you can give up everything you have and pursue something greater. As I got older, what I started to realize was everyone that I knew in the Midwest, all, the, all my family, everyone settled for this really suboptimal life. And they just felt stuck there. And I didn't understand what was sticking them there. They just seemed sad and unhappy and frustrated with their life. And they would endlessly complain about it, but then they would just do nothing to fix it. And I just didn't understand it. I didn't understand why you would just go somewhere else and try something new. Like, what was keeping you here? I didn't really feel like I fit in with the culture in Indiana at all, but at the same time, I lived in Indiana my whole life, and I literally took, like, probably a month of vacations out of there total from the time I was born to the time I was 18. So I don't think at the time I understood I was just in the wrong culture. I just felt like... I just felt wrong. I just felt like the things I believed in weren't correct. And I actually just had people tell me those things. Like, um, I was in an AP government class when I was a junior in high school. And several of the people, I don't think everyone, but it was probably like 90% of the class were definitely from Republican families and definitely had Republican values themselves. And... I would try to express other opinions because I wanted to be a part of the class and I felt like this is the kind of place where you could exchange intelligent opinions and not get slighted for it and that's not really true. I wasn't like bullied for it but I was basically just told I was wrong and I don't really feel like the teacher did a lot to curb that belief. He didn't encourage, you know, one political party over the other but he definitely just let all of the people that were Republicans basically bully on anyone who had a different opinion. And like all of the facts that were sourced out of the class were like from the O'Reilly factor and basically from Fox news. So even as a Democrat, I was forced to look at things from a Republican perspective a lot, but then again, I never felt like they did the same thing. They just took their opinion and me considering like me compromising or considering that there could be two sides of the issue just felt like victory to them, which was really frustrating. I didn't really want to go to college in Indiana, but my parents saved, like, no money for college. Like, it just wasn't within our budget to be able to afford to to make those kind of savings. So I, I had to go to school somewhere in Indiana, and I had to go to a state school. So that meant, there, you know, there's several. It would have been, like, IU, or one of the smaller versions of IU, which is Indiana University, Indiana State University, which I know nothing about, Purdue University, which is a very prominent engineering and science school. The reason I ended up picking it was just when I went to visit there, they made a big deal about how they actually had the biggest international population of any public school in the United States at the time. And to me, that was just like, wow, I get to experience other cultures and I don't have to leave Indiana. So that that's ultimately what sold me to go there. I went to college with no idea, like zero idea about what I wanted to do for a career. I spent no time in, in high school even thinking about what I want to do for a living. I didn't know if I ever wanted to have kids or ever get married or I wasn't dating anyone. I wasn't really in a long-term relationship. The only dream I had when I went to college was I don't want to live in Mishawaka anymore. And I didn't. And I did very bad in school, 
but I, I was really happy because I basically did everything that wasn't school. I joined the kendo club, I started, I took all these different foreign languages, I took like Japanese, I took French, I made friends with this girl from India, I went to all these different restaurants, like I got to try so many different cuisines for the first time, and I basically spent the three and a half years at Purdue just basically trying to sample the world. And I don't think I realized what I was doing at the time, but that's what I was doing. I can't really think of a time where what I was doing was not tied to something international or non-Midwestern. I went to Purdue for three and a half years. I left in December and it was not a, it was not like really a great decision. Basically, the way I had done Purdue is I had a bad semester, then a good semester, then a bad semester, and a good semester. So I'd go on academic formation, then come off it, and academic formation, and come off it. And so basically, this semester, I had two bad semesters in a row. I was pretty sure I was going to get kicked out of school. I don't actually know if I was ever kicked out of Purdue, because I literally just left. I went to the storage closet on my dorm room floor, got a whole bunch of trash bags, and threw all my stuff in it, and just left. And I didn't explain anything to my roommate, who was a very close friend of mine who was no longer a close friend of mine for that reason. I took all my stuff to a friend's place and I looked for a new place to live. And I lived there. I lived there with the person I was currently dating and just got a job. The bad thing that happened, or the really awesome thing that happened is we broke up. I basically just called my parents and was like, can I just move back home? And they were like, yep. I don't really close with my family, but I do like them because for all the mistakes I've made in my life, I know I can always go home, which is more better than a lot of people have. I don't really get judged for it. I mean, I might, but they don't. They're not so obvious about it, which is nice. So I go home and I'm miserable. I realize I have to get a job. I should get a job pretty quickly, probably within the first month I'm there. And I start saving money and then I start applying to schools just like local community colleges. And then I don't even know how it happened. It just occurred to me, like in the middle of an application to Ivy Tech, which is one of those schools there. I was like, there's no reason I have to apply back to school now. Like, right, I could like actually not live at my parents' house and probably find a place to rent on this. And then I took that step. And then the next day I just realized like, holy crap, I could just leave. Like there's zero reason for me to be here. All I have is a job. I actually have a job at a Barnes & Noble, a place where you can transfer your job, perhaps to one of their several branches, you know, around the US. And it was an awesome realization. It was just so amazing to realize that I was free. I had a friend who I played World of Warcraft with who had gone to school in the West, but had come home and was living back in his home, which is in Kentucky. And was basically in the same position I was, like, wow, I'm back home. I don't want to live here. And we had World of Warcraft friends that were living in Seattle. And we're like, let's just pick a day. And if it doesn't work out, oh well. This was 2008. And this was maybe, like, February or January. Or, like, October 1st, we're just going to leave. It became clear that as we got closer to the day, we were actually going to be ready for it. We both had the money for it. We both could put a deposit for an apartment. That this was really going to happen. So we started talking to each other, and 
we kind of talked about it. They're like, do you just want to get straight there? Do you want to kind of just make it like a road trip and stop us along the way? And both of us were like, let's make it a road trip. Let's like do cool stuff along the way. And almost immediately what pops in my head. And I was just like, we're going west. We're going to see the cool stuff. Like, we have to. And then laying out the maps and realizing that there were definitely roads that you just, you drove through, through cities like Kearney, Nebraska, which is Fort Kearney. You drive past Chimney Rock. You could go into Wyoming and actually see wagon runs. When you saw a river, you would like, oh man, what river is that? And you'd find it, and you'd find out that it was one of the, the rivers on the trail. The thing I wanted to see most was Chimney Rock. That was, to me, the one thing on the, the trail, I, or on the journey west, that I would not compromise because it's like a flagstone for everyone that passed it. Like, there's lots of journals that you can read that people wrote when they were on the trail and almost every one of those journals has a chimney rock entry and every i think what's interesting about it is because it's so early in the trail everyone who went west pretty much saw it like not everyone went to oregon people went to california people went to utah people went to southern washington everyone saw chimney rock and it's the first major landmark in the game right it's, it's kind of the first major land. i mean you stop at two rivers and a fort before them but as far as like nat natural landmarks you stop at. Chimney Rock is one of the only ones that you stop at, but it is the first as well. I just remember at the museum, there's like these like ceiling to floor windows where you can just look out at it. I mean, you'd probably have to ask Matt how long I stared at it. It was just so cool to be in the same place that so many other people were. Thousands of people stood in almost the same spot that I did and said, I have given up my family. I have sold off most of my possessions. And I don't know what's out here, but I'm just taking it, but it's better than what I had before. Just the power of being the next person that was doing that, and like continuing this tradition. And I think that's why I played Oregon Trail for so long. I definitely felt like a new person. Like I, I definitely felt like I had went to Purdue and I essentially failed out of college and I was like 24 and I had didn't have a degree, where most of my friends had a degree, they had jobs. The one thing I had that they didn't have was their degrees and their jobs were in Indiana. And this was, I felt like this was me making the best decision out of anyone I had ever met. I was leaving. And I was standing before Chimney Rock and I was, I was gone. I was gone at that point. I wasn't there. And I was, it's actually funny because I was in the Midwest. I was in, like, Nebraska, which might be worse than Indiana. I have no idea. It didn't matter what had happened because everything in Indiana was in Indiana, and it kind of felt like it was there forever. And this was a whole new world and a whole new life and a whole new start. And I think I, I really did think about when I was at standing there looking at Chimney Rock, all those games of Oregon Trail. I played all those games of Oregon Trail too, I played. And it was like me actually living it, like realizing that all those games I played, I was just trying to re trying to get out of something, just trying to like find a place that was new. Just telling myself that there was nothing more important than leaving and then realizing that I had done it. Like I, I don't think I would have realized that had I just taken a different road there. I think that, that realization was important. Life out here is awesome, and I think it's, it probably isn't just because I moved, but it has a lot to do with the move. It's all about making a choice to change your life and not just settling for what you have, which is, I feel like, ultimately the story of what the Oregon Trail was, too. I just made the choice that 
this life in Indiana is not good enough and I'm leaving and I'm going to this other place and it was awesome. Everything about here is amazing. I love the culture out here, I love the weather out here, I love the people out here, I love everyone I've met out here. Like everything about here is just different than where I grew up and I feel like that's so important. And I think it's like good to say this now because it's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to forget that even when life gets tough here, it doesn't matter because I'm here and I'm not there. Sandra still lives in Seattle. She's currently enrolled at the University of Washington. Memory Card is a production of SiliconSasquatch.com and is produced by Spencer Tordoff. Thanks to both of my interviewees, especially for putting up with some occasionally wonky audio hardware, I, I think I have everything worked out now. The music you heard during the intro is by Circle the Sun, actually a local band from my hometown. Uh, you can check them out at circlethesun.bandcamp.com. If you have comments, feedback, or if you want to pitch a story for the show, Spencer at SiliconSasquatch.com is where to reach me. Please don't hesitate to reach out. And as always, if you want to hear more from Silicon Sasquatch, you can check us out at SiliconSasquatch.com.